0: Hello and welcome to Radio Silence here on Radio Fodder. You can find us on Twitter at Radio Silence, or on SoundCloud, or right here, right now, coming at you with an episode (laughs) all about the science of light, but we'll get to that in a second. I'm Kate. Uh, I'm a neuroscientist studying my PhD in neuroscience, and I am joined once once again, as always, with my co-host, Kai. How are you, Kai?
1: Pretty good. Uh, I'm Kai. I'm studying a PhD in physics.
0: Yeah, cool. Kai, I have a question. I have a weird question for you. Okay, okay. If you could choose your dreams like what would you choose to dream about if like when you went to bed at night you had to like a little set a little dial to like I don't know today I want to dream about getting chased by a bear I don't know why you would choose that one but like what would, <laughs> what would you choose
1: oh that's a tough question Kate um see I think the best thing about my dreams is that they're so weird sometimes and mm-hmm. it's just like how did that even come out of my brain mm-hmm. that if I chose my dreams like I'd lose that Aspect. So I would just, mm. just choose to have random dreams. You would
0: choose to have random dreams. Okay. No, that's fair. That's... I would not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hard disagree. My brain comes up with some... I have a lot of dreams that I would rather not have, to be quite <laughs> honest, with the world on live radio. Um, <laughs> And so, no, like, what my answer would be to this is that I would choose <laughs> to, like dream about – well, ideally, like, not dream or dream about just, like, sleeping or just, like, lazing around on the couch. Because, see, the thing is, when Mm. I have a dream, like, for example, being chased by a bear, right, like, I wake up tired. Like, if I've had a dream where I've had to do anything that requires any sort of, like, physical exertion, I wake up, like, tired. Like, I've just lived a whole life in my head overnight. (laughs) And I'm like, that's not what I want out of sleep, right? Uh. What I want out of sleep (laughs) is sleep. So I want to, like, dream about watching a whole series on Netflix while never leaving my couch. <laughs> um, but in dreamland, you don't even have to get up to pee. So, like, you can just, you know, that's that's my yeah, ideal that sounds dream. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then I'll do, like, I won't be that boring when I'm awake in real life. I'll do all the real fun life stuff. But <laughs> no, nah. sleep time is for sleep. That is my firm opinion. Uh <laughs> cool. Fair enough. But anyway, that's not very scientific, so maybe, as Radio Silence, uh, we should shuffle onto some science and start the show, as always, with some news, some science, recent science. Kai, start us off. What have we got? Okay.
1: Well, I hope you're hungry, because some researchers from the US and China have developed flat-pack pasta. Oh, what? So this is this is pasta that comes flat, uh-huh. but when, when you cook it, it uh-huh. like... Becomes a shape. Oh. So, you know, you might buy, like, spiral pasta or, like, tubes or, or yeah. whatever weird pasta shapes you get. Just, you know, there's the shell-shaped ones as well.
0: When but... I went to France, I bought, like, Eiffel Tower-shaped pasta <laughs> because I'm that person. Because you just so... have to. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, so these these um, flat pack pasta they've developed, what it does is when you cook it, it takes on these, the shapes. So, this is like kind of useful because normal pasta, like if it's in a shape like a spiral or a Mm -hmm. tube or something, there's a lot of air inside that shape. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of wasting space and means you're using more packaging than you would otherwise if you just had flat pasta. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So the way they've done this is they made pasta sheets, like made it flat, but put grooves on one side of the pasta. So that when it cooks... The side that doesn't have the grooves expands more because when pasta uh, swells up when you cook it, and yeah. the sides that did have the grooves sort of bends over.
0: Right. Okay. So
1: it's it's really like it's really simple and really cool. And what they did was they made a whole bunch of different shape pasta by mm. getting different flat shapes and then cutting grooves in them. And yeah, some of the cool things they made spirals, they made tubes. The tubes weren't like full tubes because they. You can't make a tube out of a flat thing without joining it up.
0: Yeah. So, like it had yeah. like a
1: slit in it, but it was still a tube. But it was
0: still more or less. Yeah.
1: Then some other like weird ones that I've never seen in real pasta, but like an open box. Oh. It's so, like a box with the lid off. Yeah. Like a, square like a jack folder. in the
0: box that's opened up, but without the toy. Yeah.
1: Without without a <laughs> lid. So it was like a little box shaped pasta, which was yeah. pretty cool. Wow. And then like wavy donut shaped pasta. That's so, that's
0: really... That's... like. <laughs> it's so, it, it's so strange and that's why I love it. Like. Yeah. um, And then. What a good which I, application of science, you know? Oh, like, something that what I think is good... really
1: cool is one of the, the researchers, they went, oh, I'm going to field test this pasta. So they took it on a hike. And <laughs> hiking is probably one of the, the best like, applications, for, applications this. Yeah. for this sort of thing. And. They go, yeah, it takes up way less space than regular pasta, <laughs> and they can confirm it can be cooked in a portable stove.
0: Oh, amazing!
1: It's pretty funny. But there's um, some other cool stuff about this. They they think that it will actually take less energy to cook these shapes than it will with other types, some like 3D pasta. Mm-hmm. And this is really interesting because they say that in Italy, one percent of greenhouse gas emissions <laughs> is solely from cooking pasta.
0: <laughs> So, this flat pack pasta is going to save gonna... the world from climate change.
1: Yeah, one pot of pasta at a time, I, I
0: guess. Love it. <laughs> love it. You know, love it. Um, if you've done some cool science, you know, let the world know. Let the world love know. It.
1: Yeah, and maybe we'll see it in the supermarkets. I truly hope in the so. I
0: would buy it. I would 100% buy I would this.
1: buy it just to see it, like, you know, change shape as you cook yeah, it. Yeah,
0: I feel like it's, like, those toys you get as a kid that, like, you know, they're like a dinosaur egg and you put them in the bath and they hatch and grow into toys, you know, like, yeah. and half, half the fun of it is watching this toy change when you put it in water. Like, it's the same thing, but for grown-ups. And it's pasta, <laughs> which is, like, one of the best foods ever. So, like, I truly yeah. am here for this. This is fantastic.
1: <laughs> oh, that's so good. What news have you got, Kate?
0: So, so, I have probably the most exciting news story that we've had on the show so far. Stretched yeah. as exciting for me, because um, this week, recently, um, an amazing paper has come out of the Florey Institute and the University of Melbourne. Um, it's my paper. Guys, it's my paper. <laughs> I published a paper. I'm really excited about Woo-hoo! it. Um, I'm co-first author on this paper with my supervisor, Lee Walker, and... I just, I'm so excited that, like, this, this has been my baby, this project. If you've, <coughs> long-time listeners of the show will have heard me talk about some of this stuff before, um, because this but is... But here like, it is again. But, well, you know, it's, it's now a paper, it's a complete story, it's out there in the world, and my name's on it, which is really cool. So, essentially, I will tell you about it, though. I won't just brag about its existence. Um, I was looking at alcohol use disorder... And rats, and getting rats drunk, and it was fantastic. but no, we were looking we were looking at a certain type of receptor in the brain called a muscarinic receptor. So your muscarinic receptors, they exist for the neurotransmitter, acetylcholine. You've probably heard of acetylcholine. It does a lot of cool things, like you know, it makes our muscles do the muscle thing. It's it's a really, it's a nifty neurotransmitter. It gets around. It does a lot. Um, but one of the things it does is it, it binds to these muscarinic receptors in the brain. Now, muscarinic receptors come in five different subtypes, right? And mm-hmm. this is important because up until recently, it was kind of really impossible to test these individual subtypes like we didn't have any drugs that could bind with such specificity to like just the m1 m2 they're called m1 2 okay. 3 4 and 5 it's very creative um, <laughs> so you know what scientists did is they just they would use a drug that would bind to all of them like acetylcholine or any of these other substances that you know have been developed over the years um, yep. and they just tested this group of receptors as a whole um, and they were like you know, that's alright. They're just subtypes that all did kind of do the same thing anyway. Um, turns out they don't all do the same thing. And now we've got like we've finally, you know, very recently these these compounds called allosteric modulators. That bit's not important. They bind to each receptor individually, so we can actually like figure out what each different receptor is doing. And so previously we know that the M4 and the M5 are the two important subtypes in the brain for driving, you know, alcohol seeking, alcohol drinking, kind of motivation to drink alcohol, but also relapse to drinking alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. These are kind of the two things that we know the M4 and the M5 are both um, involved with. But what we found is that in a particular region of the brain that's important For looking at context and, you know, recognizing places, environments that you've been that were once associated with alcohol and kind of linking alcohol so that when you go to this place, you crave alcohol because that's, Mm. you know, how our brains work. The M4 and the M5 are both in this brain region. And so what we did is we drugged these individually and we found that they actually do opposite things. So Mm. the M4... When we drugged the M4 receptor, we were able to stop rats from relapsing, Mm. but we weren't able to stop their general motivation. So how hard they would work to get alcohol. They would work just as hard to get alcohol, but they didn't relapse when you took them away and then put them back. Whereas when we drugged the M5, they kept relapsing. So when you like put them Mm. in... Um, but they had less motivation, so they wouldn't work as hard to drink when you had to make Mm. them work harder and harder and harder to drink. So, yeah, M5 seems to be to do with motivation, but not that context recognition relapse. But M4 seems to be to do with that context recognition relapse, uh, but not motivation. Mm, That's pretty cool. And that's something that, like you know, is wild because for so long we kind of didn't even realise that, that they
1: were different. did different
0: things. No, exactly. Yes. Um, and so now hopefully the fact that we can tell this and we can make drugs for these individual ones, hopefully new medications to help people struggling with relapse or struggling with motivation or whatever, mm. you know, can be developed and put out in the market and hopefully we can help people. So that's pretty exciting. That's my, uh, you know, science news of the really week. Very
1: exciting, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um. <laughs> But enough about me. We're going to be talking this episode about light. Um, You'll see why in a second. Kyle will tell us why. Um, So to start us off, we've got Light On by Maggie Rogers. You are listening to Radio Silence here on Radio Fodder. That was Light On by Maggie Rogers. Because today we're talking about light. Kyle. Start Ooh. us off.
1: Yes. Why and are we reason, talking about light? The reason we're talking about light is because this Sunday, the 16th of May, is the International Day of Light.
0: You know, I'll be honest. I didn't know that this was a thing until you mentioned it. <laughs> uh, until you were like, hey, we should do a show about light because this. Like, uh, this is a thing. This is cool. Yeah.
1: Now, it's, it's a pretty recent thing, actually. I think the first International Day of Light was only in 2018. So, it's oh, only been around yeah, wow, for a couple of reason. years. Which makes... Like, explains why not many people would have heard about it. Mm. But it's, you know, an international day proclaimed by the United Nations Education and Scientific Cultural Organization, or Scientific Mm -hmm. and Cultural, something like that. Anyway, more commonly known as UNESCO.
0: Have heard
1: of them. Yeah, heard of them. And the purpose of the day is to promote and raise awareness of the importance of light in science. And one of the key aspects of that that they, they really want to like raise awareness of is especially in terms of sustainable development. So mm-hmm. using light and light related technologies for sustainable um, development. And I'm going to talk about a little bit of that in a bit, mm-hmm. but something else that they talk about or that they like to promote is the importance of light in arts and culture as well, mm-hmm. because lights also really relevant in you know all sorts of different mm. artistic media. So, I think that's really cool how they're kind of bringing science and culture together and, you know, showing that light is everywhere and is Mm. is really relevant and important to lots of different aspects of human development and society. Yeah. Now, the reason the date May 16 was chosen was because it's the anniversary of the first demonstration of a working laser.
0: Oh, of course it of was. Of course it is. <laughs> this is, of course, this is why you know about it.
1: No, I totally looked that up. But yeah, it's, uh, so the first laser was in 1960 on the 16th of May, apparently. Mm-hmm. Huh. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Now, as I said before, I'm going to talk about some of the ways in which light is useful um, especially to do with sustainable development mm-hmm. now when I'm thinking about sustainability and light, the first thing that comes to mind is solar panels mm. and like there is quite a few different ways that researchers are working on solar panels, trying to get them to like you know improve them so that they can be more effective at generating green electricity because that's going to be really important like or it already is really important, but it's going to become more and more important as we try to phase out fossil fuels and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So there are a few reasons why solar panels, like solar power, hasn't been adopted like completely yet. And one of them is it's kind of expensive and kind of inefficient. So these are the sorts of things that scientists are looking at trying to improve.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, one of the reasons that solar power is inefficient is because the light from the sun is spread over a broad spectrum of, of wavelengths. So you've got the visible light that we can actually see. Mm. But when we talk about light, we're also thinking about things like infrared and ultraviolet light. Yeah. And and like the the definition of light also extends all the way to things like radio waves or, or gamma oh, really? rays. Yeah, it's it's the same. It's the same thing, it's just lower energy for yeah, radio waves. Yeah, well, because,
0: like, I knew it was all, like, electromagnetic waves, right? Yeah. But at what point does it stop being light? Because, like, visible light is, what, 400 to 700 nanometers, I yep. want to say? Um.
1: Pretty much, like, it's sort of...
0: Approximately. Um, yeah. But then, and then, you know, ultraviolet, infrared, you kind of still call light, but then, like...
1: How far can you go?
0: Yeah. When it, like, does it all just count as light technically?
1: I guess, I guess so. It's like, it's the same thing fundamentally. Like it behaves differently. And if you just sort of looked at a radio wave and looked at like a light, you know, visible light, you'd Mm. go, oh, they're different things. But no, it's, it's depending on just their energy Hmm. and it's, it's on a spectrum. So things like infrared behaves differently to visible light. Mm. Like even though it's kind of similar, you know. Visible light goes through glass, but infrared doesn't. Depending on the wavelength.
0: Doesn't? I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. So, um, some t- I found this out the hard way with like a thermal camera, and I pointed mm. it like through a window, and you couldn't see through the
0: window. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I. Yeah, that does seem like a bit of a fault in thermal. This, you know, I don't know. Well, I mean, it's not just... a fault, but you know, like I'm just trying to think of you know applications of thermal cameras, and sometimes I just feel like. You would want to be able to see through windows.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, tough luck. Too had. bad. <laughs> um, Physics But it's, says it's really no. important to think to think about because, like, the lenses of thermal cameras have to be made out of not gl- glass. types of glass or special types of glass, or okay. sometimes even things like sapphire. Oh, is is pretty cool.
0: That is cool.
1: Uh, yeah. So, light is a spectrum. It spans a big range, and this is important for solar power laws. I just merged panels and power, but anyway. Um,
0: solar, yep. <laughs> Those things. <laughs>
1: um, it's important because the light from the sun is spread over a really wide range, mm-hmm. but the solar panels can only actually get useful energy in the form of electricity from a very narrow range. Okay. So there's all of this wasted energy in, you know, the infrared, ultraviolet, and some mm. areas are visible that it's not being absorbed and converted into electricity very efficiently Mm -hmm. so there's this one one technique that they're trying to implement and use in solar power is called two photon up conversion okay and we think of photons photons are like packets of light Mm -hmm. so each photon has a specific energy which corresponds to its wavelength or its color Mm -hmm. so if you get two low energy photons Mm -hmm. coming in if you can like package them together and make one higher energy photon. Mm. And this this is something you can do with um, special crystals that actually have this property. If you put two of the, the right energy photons in, they can mm-hmm. be combined and become a higher energy photon. So if you use this technique, what you can do is you can take low energy light that's outside of the absorption band of the solar panels, yeah. convert it into single higher energy photon, and then you can absorb it. Right. So huh. that's really cool way of
0: Yeah, that's super like nifty.
1: Getting all, you know, increasing the amount of light you can actually harvest because otherwise would be wasted.
0: Mm.
1: Hmm. So that's that's pretty cool. Another big area of research in solar panels is what's called perovskites. And these are a type of material and it's a chemical compound. The ones that they use in solar panels is a chemical compound that's got Basically, like a metallic or metal um, lattice. So, it's Mm. like a structure with metal, and in there, trapped in there, is organic molecules. Mm -hmm. So, things are made up of like carbon and hydrogen. And if they get a specific uh, type of crystal that has specific types of metals and the trapped organic molecule, they're actually being able to tune the way that this crystal interacts with light and increase the efficiency of the solar collection. of of this particular crystal.
0: Yeah, right.
1: So at the moment, they're still in in development, but they're improving the efficiency at a much faster rate than they have been with silicon solar cells. So they're expecting that this is going to overtake silicon in the near future. And this is great because, one, they're expecting there'll be higher efficiency than regular silicon solar cells. And two, they're much cheaper and simpler to manufacture. Mm Mm-hmm. So, as I said at the start, Good. one of the reasons solar panels hasn't, haven't been, you know, taken up as widely as we might like them to is because they're still relatively Very expensive.
0: expensive, yeah.
1: Yeah, so if we can find a much cheaper and simpler way of manufacturing them, that's going to be really great. But some of the even cooler things about manufacturing perovskite solar cells is that they can be made flexible and transparent. So, flexible is cool. You can put it on just about anything dang and transparent means you can make solar panel windows
0: what Yep. oh and oh that's cool yeah I'm and a i think fan that they've actually that. done
1: this as like a a trial but they're they're looking at you know there's sort of designs of buildings where all of the windows are made out of these materials that actually absorb it's like
0: city high-rises of solar panels like that is that is the future i want (laughs) that is the futuristic city that i am like of my dreams the ones that i spend sleeping (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: so like this is really cool because yeah as you're talking about the in a city you've got high-rise buildings now if you were to put solar panels on the roof you only get a small area of solar panels But if you made all of the windows of that building Mm. solar panels, you're going to be able to harvest way more sunlight. Mm. And that's just going to increase the amount of like energy that you can actually get. Now it's these window solar panels aren't going to be as efficient as like a dedicated solar panel, simply because they have to still let light through for you to be able to see through the window. Mm -hmm. But you know, you can still harvest quite an impressive amount of sunlight just through the the light that you don't let through. And that's gonna be great for generating power. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so many different things that are being developed in the areas of solar, like solar power. But light is being used in so many other areas as well. Things like communications, um, you know, most of our internet these days is Mm. optic fiber communications that obviously uses light. And there's there's plans for using, like, light-based communication to satellites, which...
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: So, already they use radio, which, as I said before, kind of is, like, it's light. But using optical communications could get higher bandwidth or faster speeds. So, you can transmit data more quickly using optical communications. Now, the reason they don't do this currently or haven't done it yet is because... Um, it's like you actually have to aim like a laser at the satellite and that's kind of tricky. It's more tricky than if you're, you know, using like radio waves or like they spread out a bit more. They're not as focused as like a laser beam. So that's a little bit easier, but they're getting to the point where this is totally feasible. And, you know.
0: That's really cool.
1: There's there's diagrams of like networks of satellites that all got lasers pointing at each other and they're, you know, Communicating with light, which
0: which is like at the speed of light, right? Exactly. Like...
1: Well, radio waves are at the speed of light too, but oh,
0: okay, yeah, true.
1: The the reason there's because the radio waves are longer wavelength. You can't modulate them as quickly as you could yep. a laser beam. Yeah. that um, makes sense. And you, yeah, you get more bandwidth with with a with a shorter wavelength. Mm. It's higher frequency, so you can you can get more data in less space, I guess, or yeah. region of, of the optical spectrum. Heck yeah. So that's really cool. Um, yeah. We talked about things in a, in a previous episode about like photonics and optics on the nanoscale. Um, check mm-hmm. that out on SoundCloud. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, so many cool applications of light and it's it really goes to show why well, having yeah, something like, like... I'm about
0: to start using fiber photometry. Um yeah, cool. also light, you know, to measure brain activity in an animal doing a behaviour. I've talked about this before on the show as well, but, like, it's wild. It's all just based on light Yeah. that we can measure it's... active. Like, it's... Oh, I'm very enthused by it.
1: <laughs> and this, yeah, just goes to show why having something like an International Day of Light is really important to raise awareness of all mm. these different aspects of science and, yeah, get people to... To think about how important light is in not just science but also our everyday lives, and mm-hmm. yes, really start to appreciate why it's it's really cool. So yeah, remember that on Sunday the sixteenth of mm. May, celebrate the International Day of Light. I don't
0: light. know what I'll do in celebration. <laughs> Something. Just
1: enjoy life.
0: Um, say thank you to my light bulb before I go to <laughs> bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, thank you, light bulb. You're always doing. You're always doing look i'm gonna stop i'm gonna (laughs) stop making a fool of myself and uh take us into our next song which is you know we talked about solar panels so here's here comes the sun by jacob collier and dodie
1: welcome back to radio silence where we're bringing science into focus here on radio fodder today we're talking all about light now kate enlighten us
0: oh no (laughs) no i can't (laughs) believe i let you do that that was brilliant well played kai (laughs) um you've thrown me now how am i meant to compose (laughs) myself and teach you anything so light yes light i will enlighten you light Fantastically cool thing, as, you know, you just told us, Kai. It's worthy of a day of celebration. (laughs) But, as we all know, I'm a neuroscientist, uh, through and through, (laughs) you can't expect me to present a topic on the theme of light and not talk about the insanely, amazingly insane thing that we do, which is see. Like, Mm. perceive light. Well, like... Technically, we sense light and visually perceive our surroundings. We don't perceive mm. light as such. But, like, I mean, you guess you perceive light. If you see a torchlight, you can look at it and you're like, you're definitely like, well, that's light, right? <laughs> anyway, yeah. the point is, but it's not just torchlights that, you know, light is literally why we have vision. Mm. Light is the reason that I can look at my desk and see that there's a desk. Like, yep. it. Th- And our brains can do that because when photons, like, so this is, this is the thing, right? We normally get this narrative of like, yes, photons of light come through from the sun or whatever light source. They hit the objects around us, which, you know, then absorb some wavelengths, reflect other wavelengths. This dictates the color. Then these photons hit our retina, get absorbed, and ta-da, We can see, right? Or you go on to explain how it hits your visual cortex and go more into that neuroscience part of it that I'm not... I'm going to resist the urge to do Mm. that. But some cool stuff happens further down the track as well when it comes to vision. But no, the part I want to focus on is the... It gets absorbed by our photoreceptors. Because, like... Yes, photons hit our photoreceptors, and bada bing, bada boom, some mm-hmm. magic happens. And all of a sudden, but like, this is the thing all of a sudden, the message which was light a second ago, a photon of light, mm. is now an electrical signal which travels through our nervous system and does some cool neuromagic and becomes perception. Which, like, yeah, that's really cool, but. The, the bridging moment, this bridging moment where the signal turns from a photon of light to an electrical signal, because we all know like that's how our brains work, right it's electrical yep. and chemical signals, it's not we don't have light shooting down our neurons, <laughs> so like something happens to turn that signal and and we have a fancy scientific name for it because of course we do, um, and you know we are gonna get technical and sciencey because we're a science show um so it's called phototransduction, this process where, Mm -hmm. you know, goes from light, gets transduced quote unquote is the neuroscientific term for it um, into an electrical signal so like, I had to learn about phototransduction in undergrad uh, which, you know, wasn't actually at the University of Melbourne so I can't shout out anyone specifically (laughs) here that I know had to learn this but I suspect that neuroscience majors uh, will know my pain here um...
1: (laughs) So you're going to share that. So I'm going with to share it right with now. the world
0: because, no, there's, there's a good reason for this, right? Because this simple little, like, often overlooked process, like, it is super complicated and wild. And I want to take the time today to break it down, not so much because I think anybody listening will remember all of the intermediate steps or because i think there's any value in people memorizing all the details like that's not the point Mm -hmm. the point is that i like maybe people will get an appreciation of how detailed and complex this is because like what i love about molecular biology which yes notice kai how i took your physics topic and turned it into molecular bio (laughs) Um, what i love about this is that it gives you an appreciation of like, just how many things need to go right inside of you just for you to, like, exist in the world, like, to live around and breathe and, like, to look and see stuff. Like, so many tiny little things have to be going right for you to be able to see. Like, it's... So, anyway. Anyway, that's my moment of gushing about science. I make no apology for that, but I just felt like I owed you all an explanation because, yes, this is... we're, We're getting pretty deep here, but I think... When I learned about how complicated this stuff was, I just, it blew my mind in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about phototransduction. Let's. You're probably aware that in our retina, that neural layer in the back of our eye, we have photoreceptor cells, right? There are two yep. types. We've got rods. We've got cones. Your yep. cones are color. We'll get to that a little bit at the end. Um, but rods are your stock standard everywhere in your eye we're going to talk about rods, right? So mm-hmm. inside of rods, oh but the process is for cones is is pretty much the same though, very similar. So inside of rods, we have a substance called rhodopsin, right, which is essentially made up of a, a protein called opsin and a little mm-hmm. molecule called retinal. So retinal yep. is the interesting one because it's what's capable of absorbing light. So it's like this long stick shaped molecule um, except when it hasn't absorbed light, it's a stick with like a little kink in it in the end, right? And we call yep. this 11 cis retinal, which kind of just chemically describes the kink in it. Yep. And so, anyway, when it absorbs a photon of light, when it's hit with a photon of light, the double bond where the kink is actually like breaks and allows the kink to more or less straighten out. Mm. And so now we now have a straight stick molecule, which we call all trans retinal, straight line. So this changing of shape is really important because this this is what essentially prompts the opsin, the protein part, Mm. to then activate another protein called transducin. Makes sense. We're talking about transduction. We have a protein. I love when things make sense. Mm. So now transducin, he has a job. His job is to then activate an enzyme Called phosphodiesterase. This is why we... An enzyme. Phosphodiesterase is the name of the enzyme. Not important. It's an enzyme. It has a job as well. Because, you know, it's a whole cascade. There's so many parts, so many working parts. So the enzyme, its job, when activated, is to break down yet another substance we have not yet introduced you to called (laughs) cyclic GMP. Cool. Okay. Cool, cool. So why do we care? Why do we care about cyclic GMP? Well, to explain, let's just like zoom back out a tiny bit for a second, right? Mm. So we're looking at the whole kind of rod cell again now. So in the dark, yeah. when, when there are no photons of light hitting the rhodopsin, in the dark, these pho- sodium ions get pumped in to the rod cells mm. through tiny little channels. And all of these tiny little channels have like little gates, right, that... When our old friend, cyclic GMP, when he's bound to the gate, they're open Mm. and sodium can come into the cell. Yep. So cyclic GMP bound, gates open, sodium comes in, but no cyclic GMP bound, gates closed, sodium gets trapped outside. Yep. Okay. We care about this because sodium sodium ions are positively charged. And so when they're inside the cell versus outside the cell, it actually changes the charge of the cell and that gets important in a bit um so back to our old mate the enzyme phosphodiesterase when he gets activated he breaks down the cyclic gmp and when the cyclic gmp gets broken down there is less of it to open the gates yep so the positively charged sodium ions get trapped outside the cell Mm -hmm. Right. So outside the cells where all the positive charge is, which like ultimately makes the overall charge of the cell of the photoreceptor more negative. Right. And we call this hyperpolarization. And this is kind of the whole point of the whole, you know, phototransduction cascade of the photon hitting the opsin, hitting the retinal, changing shape, inducing the enzyme, blah, 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 is because we want to hyperpolarize these cells. Yep. So, a quick side note about neurons, because, well, once again, anyone who's ever listened to the show <laughs> knows that I'll take any opportunity to talk about neurons. But, you know, once again, if you've ever done any neuroscience, you would have learnt about the action potential, which is what we call when a neuron fires, right? So, like, when we say a neuron yep. is firing, we mean it's undergoing an action potential. And if you've learned about action potentials, you would have learnt that the first thing a neuron does in an action potential is depolarize. So, all the sodium channels open, sodium rushes into the cell, it gets more positive. We call this depolarization. Like, this is what mm-hmm. a neuron firing is. When a neuron fires, sodium rushes in, it depolarizes. Then it hyperpolarizes to turn back off. Mm. So, remember back at our photoreceptors, how I said light hitting a photoreceptor hyperpolarizes it? Yep. Like, that means that light hitting a photoreceptor turns it off. Like, mm. it doesn't turn it on, it turns it off.
1: Like, okay. it does the
0: opposite of, like, what you would expect, right? So, in the dark, these things are normally hanging out just, like, on, switched on, releasing <laughs> glutamate, like, signal down to the next neuron down the line. Then when light hits, it switches off. Which is whack, right? <laughs> it's whack. Yeah,
1: that's pretty funny. It's
0: backwards. and it's like, backwards. You know why like scientists don't really agree why this is a thing because like some like flies for example some flies have photoreceptors that depolarize when light hits so light hits they turn on so like this system exists Mm -hmm. in nature where it works the way you think it would but for like most animals it's it's backwards and some are like well is it more energy efficient like are we you know because we're almost always receiving some photons of light It might save energy to, you know, turn off when there's light versus turn. Mm. Like, we don't really know. The point is we don't really know, but it's cool. And I... um, But, like, yeah. And then a very equally complicated process has to happen for it to, like, switch back off before it can be reused and again. And the cycle and, you know... So that's rods, right? And that's just an appreciation for, like, just for black and white vision. That's how much stuff needs to be going right just for you to be able yeah. to see in black and white. So then it's also worth chucking in a little bit about cones because mm. and color vision. Because color is cool. Because color is very cool, right? So, yeah, what I described earlier is what happens in rods. But, you know, we have these cone photoreceptors as well. And we have three types of cones which each respond to a different wavelength of light so you know as you might be aware different wavelengths different colors so the three cones that we have we tend to call them like red green and blue and that's not because they like only like red ones only can sense red light Mm -hmm. green only green no no no. all of them have like a like a spectrum and it like an absorption spectrum that looks like kind of of bell curvy ish like a mountain like a hill and it has a peak and that peak it like you know the peak of the red falls in the red the peak of the green falls in the green the peak of the blue falls in the blue um but they do they are spread out and there is a little bit of like overlap between some Mm. of them and this is important because where they sit in relation to each other and how they overlap is how our brains are able to figure out what color we're seeing so like sure if it's only your red photoreceptors that are firing, like, you're probably looking at red light, right? Yeah. But, like, oh, what happens with the, you know, the red and the green? You get a little bit of red and a little bit of green firing. That's probably means because the light that's hitting them is where they overlap. So you're probably mm. looking at yellow. Yeah. Because we don't have a yellow photoreceptor, but the tail no. end of the red and the, you know, head end tail, of the green... Yeah will have a little overlap right about where yellow is. Hmm. But this is where it gets interesting, if this wasn't interesting enough, right? (laughs) Because if you think about it, there are two ways that you can create this effect, right? This yellow, right? You can take the yellow wavelength of light, Mm -hmm. shoot it at it, and it partly activates each of them. Or Mm. you can send a little bit of pure green light and a little bit of pure red light at the same time To, like, also partially tingle the red and the green at the same time. Yeah. And so that actually tricks your brain into thinking you're seeing yellow, which is why when you see that effect where you have green light plus red light add them together, it makes yellow. It's not because Mm. the wavelengths of light are actually, like, adding and transforming into yellow wavelengths. It's because you're viewing both red and green at the same time. Like, this is how televisions work. Right, yeah. They only use three colours. They use red, green, and blue. And they can create the illusion of every colour in the world just by feeding you... It's like
1: 16.8 million colours.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so they don't have to program 16.8 million colours into your TV set because mm. we've figured out how to hack the brain using light to make us see everything that... Oh. I just think this is really cool. And, like, you know, it's, yeah, that many colours we can see with our three three different cones because of all mm. the different combinations that we can then figure out using just three. You know, dogs for example, only have two cones, and this is how some color blindness works as well as it's a, some cones yeah. don't work. Um so dogs yeah, have have what they're calling approximately blue and approximately yellow in terms of their two cones, which kind yeah. of gives you an idea of the range of colors that dogs see and why they see you know less color than we do. Mm-hmm. Um the mantis shrimp has 16 cones. So just imagine the like psychedelic you can't even this is the thing no, we can't even imagine because it can see colors that we've never seen and how do you how do you imagine a color that you've never seen? Like you just <laughs> can't. It's just it's it's crazy because it's, it's funny because they're looking at the same light as us, right? Yeah. Um and the same wavelengths, but they'll just be able to like resolve that into like visually different categories like more than we can right guess if
1: you if you showed it like a red and a green light and we'd be like oh that's yellow they'd be like no it's not it's red and it's green
0: yeah yeah (sighs) exactly and so (sighs) tvs imagine watching tv as a mantis shrimp they'd be like what is going on this is not what the world looks like (laughs) sorry this is incorrect (laughs) yeah so, look, this is this is all I have to say about vision. Um mm-hmm. which is about light, I promise. Um because it oh, totally is. I appreciate the world around me and the way that our brains have figured out how to get this information from light and give me the experience that I have. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's whack. It's so wild. I love it.
1: Very cool. And yeah, definitely think about light on Sunday, the International Day of Light. So that's all the time we have for today. To Remember to check us out on Twitter and SoundCloud mm. at Radio Silens. And here's our last song, Paradise by the Dashboard Light by Meatloaf.